Hey friends, good to be with you. Uh, we're looking at Romans chapter 5 today. Uh, just uh, very edified by your papers, your homeworks, your lives. Uh, just walking with you through the book of Romans has been just a real joy. And we're praying that God would quicken you for this class. We're in Romans chapter 5. Now, remember we have been talking uh, in the last class... Uh, just by review, the importance of justification by faith. We have been talking about imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness, and I'm hoping that these things are more clear to you, okay? So, Father, bless this class and each student in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, just by way of review, some points that we looked at about justification uh because we're gonna we're gonna read a couple verses we're gonna go through romans chapter 5 1 through 8 tonight um but really we're justified by faith so this undermines or removes any ability to boast in anything it's totally a work of god uh, we said number two that justification is gives us the blessing of forgiveness that our sin is not imputed to us. And so that's that's really also so valuable in relationships is that there's no ledger. There's no tracking or inventory of our sin. God has intellectual knowledge of our sin because he's omnipresent, but he does not relate to you and I in our sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have the blessing of forgiveness. Number three, we understand that obedience and works are have a proper balance. And uh, we understand that in obedience, we work out our salvation, but we do not work to achieve our salvation. So these are things we talked about last class. And then lastly, we said the justification. Uh, we share the gospel as sons and daughters and heirs of the promise. So we spent some time talking about Abraham and just the importance of his faith was counted unto him as righteousness. So again, the starting point of our faith is so important because uh, really it's a work of God. Every If you compare Christianity to other religions, the starting point is always gonna be different. With our faith, our Christianity, it's really a relationship that starts with Jesus Christ loving us first in 1 John 4, 19. And then him, while we were yet sinners, died for us. We're going to read that. God is taking the first steps. God is uh, reasoning in 118 of Isaiah where he is making the, the um, he's not just turning and asking us to come halfway. He is literally doing it all and our our uh, privilege is to respond to it and walk in it. So remember, Paul is really dealing with the Romans, these young believers, and trying to establish them that Christ is at the center. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So when we look at chapter 5, uh, let's just look through a couple things here. Let's read these verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, again, he is saying everything that you and I have, the relationship of God, the standing of God, our position, everything we have is because we are believing in another. And 
that is unlocking the door to a huge source that we can enjoy. Okay, so let's read some of these verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I want to give you a couple of words because this word peace is another word for reconciliation. Okay, reconciliation. So we have the word expiation, which means that the blood of Christ covers us and cleanses us. Okay. But then propitiation is Romans 5:17 to satisfy and reconcile us back to God. See, these are huge things because there was a debt to sin, there was a debt that had to be paid. There needed to be an atonement. Someone had to die that was perfect so that the perfection could cover imperfection in Hebrews 7, 7. The less is blessed by the greater. And then we see this too. We, we see that wrath had to be satisfied. Wrath had to be satisfied. And again, we may not talk about that, but love had to be, or the, the ransom, the debt had to be paid so that justice would be satisfied because justice precedes the love of God. So there, there had to be the shedding of blood so that God could love us freely. A holy God could love us freely. All right, so peace with God. Let's, let me unpack that. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two for a minute. Now, peace oftentimes is looked at as an emotion, maybe a stability, a calming. But here, peace is talking about when we're reconciled to God, we live in the spirit of God. We are living as a son and daughter of God. So in Ephesians 2.14, we see this verse, beautiful verse. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so to create as himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he may reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Okay, what, did, what are we saying here? Jesus became us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 to he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So you and I are guilty. Jesus said, I will take the hit. I will take the guilt and I will be that atoning payment so that the guilty will be set free. So wrath was satisfied. Psalms 22, when Jesus on the cross endured the, the, the pain and darkness of the cross so that the debt for sin could be paid, okay? And then not only the debt, but there would be an atoning sacrifice, which means we would have a continual relationship with God based on what Jesus do, did. So expiation to cover and cleanse and propitiation to satisfy, to satisfy and to reconcile so that we would have a continual relationship with God, okay? This, this is really amazing. We really see the work of Jesus Christ here. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. We are reconciled. We are united. We are made one. There's a oneness. There's a knitting together.
as he is, so are we in this present world. Again, speaking of um, we are unified and become one with God. Does that mean we are gods? No, it does not mean. It means that we have the inheritance and the power and authority that God has given his son because we are in him in Colossians chapter 3, uh, 2 and 3. So let's look at this a little closer because uh, these words are so powerful. So look at this word through, okay? Peace with God through, he was the gateway, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, verse 2, we also have access by faith into this grace. So this word through is uh, literally referring to the blood of Christ. Again, the, because of the blood, we have access. We have a direct approach to God's nature, to God's promise, to God himself. That's why today when you and I pray, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a mediator outside of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we have access in whatever condition, uh, as we see in Psalm 139, we make our bed in hell. God is there. We have access to him in the good times, in the bad times. There, there is direct access, just like we see the curtain that was separating the, the Holy of Holies um, from, the, from the court. When Jesus died on the cross, he split that and showing that we now have access to God. We have access in Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need, access. Don't ever think that you are um, alone or somehow unworthy or somehow divided. We, we see that God broke down the middle wall. He broke down anything that would separate you and I from God. Why? Because the debt was paid, justice was satisfied, uh, someone had to die someone did die and you and i live in the effect of the blood of christ and the redemption of christ all right this gets this gets in, this, this builds okay we have access by faith into this grace so the grace of god now becomes the arena and the economy and the environment of how god handles man okay it's not in the environment of law it's not in the environment of legalism. It's not in the environment of man's best performance. Uh, we see that now the environment of God is the grace of God. Now, grace is referring to several things here, but we now have moved from the law into grace. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, but the law came by Moses. We read that in John chapter 1. But this grace, it speaks about now we have a new covenant with God. We're now living in the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 14. Old things have passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and we have become new. And we have a new and living way in Hebrews 10, 20. So this new covenant means that Hebrews 10, 10, the, again, the, the, the wrath of God was satisfied. So therefore today we are adopted and we are accepted in the beloved. And now we have a new covenant, a new relationship and a new beginning. Okay. These three things, this is what grace does. It gives us a new covenant. God is now dealing with us based 
on his son. His son, his sacrifice was accepted. And today we are free. We have a new relationship. There's newness. There's hope. There's there's uh, uh, just an appeasement, we could say, or maybe satisfaction is a better word to say. So we are no longer living in debt motivation. Okay, and then a new beginning. We have a new beginning with God. Our past is gone. So grace is this merciful kindness of God. It is this generous benevolence of God. Grace, we could we could say much about this word. Let's look at Hebrews 13 for a minute. Hebrews 13, 8. Uh, it's so important to be established in the grace of God. And again, I think this is something we're going to learn our whole life because um, really the person of Christ covers our person. The perfection of Christ covers our flaws. The goodness of God makes us good because our goodness could never uh, reach to the level of perfection. You see, everything is now shifted and we are um, products of this great grace. 13.8, it says this, um, Jesus Christ is, okay, is that the verse I want? 13, 8, and 9, okay. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established in grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied within. And then I love this, I love this. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So God is saying, because of grace, you can be established in 1 Peter 5, 10, you can be strengthened and settled because of this grace, and uh, you have an altar. You have a place where the sacrifice has been uh, received, and therefore the relationship now is based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Okay, So these may be some basic thoughts that maybe we may think we know, but may the Lord open our eyes to this in a fresh revelation because the very foundation of God's relationship with man is based in God's grace, based in God's benevolent generosity, his merciful kindness. Okay, and we've said that acronym before, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches. What are the riches of God? His love, his patience, his justice, his wisdom, his, uh, we could give a list of his nature. This is his riches. And it's, and now we're able to enjoy it because of Christ's expense and spending of his life. It's almost like being in a kingdom and there's the royal family and they are treated with the best of everything, the best food, the best clothes, the cleanest environment, the best protection. Uh, they have a uh, just the best of everything available to them because they are royalty. Now, if you compare that with a peasant, a peasant, what do they have? They have a hard life. They are working. They're in a dirty place. They're poor. Maybe they eat once a day or maybe not at all. Uh, maybe once, maybe once or twice every two days. Who knows? The peasant is very poor. So we see this in Second Corinthians nine eight. 
uh, and 8-9 as well, that he who was rich became poor so that we may be made rich. Let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 8-9, I believe it is. Let's look at that. So, yeah, 2 Corinthians 8-9, it says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty may become rich. What, what is that? That's the atoning work of God, that today, as a peasant, as a beggar, we can walk, figuratively speaking, walk right into the royal family. We can sleep in the royal bed. We can eat at the royal's table. We can eat the royal's food. We can access the privilege of the royals, and we can be looked at as a royal, as a son, as a daughter, because the king of kings has accepted us as his own son, as his own family. And this is the way we need to live our Christian life, that we are accepted in the beloved, we are adopted, and that we have a new covenant, a new relationship, a new beginning. I mean, remember Mephibosheth, Second Samuel chapter 9, remember him uh, when David was wanting to bless and honor Jonathan and, uh, you know, Mephibosheth, that, that boy that was dropped in his youth and he was now cripple. He was, yes, he was from Jonathan's household, but he was also connected to Saul. And when he was called, when David called Mephibosheth to his presence, he thought he was going to get the wrath of, uh, wrath of God because of Saul. And David said, no, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor Jonathan, and you're going to be a type of Christ where I'm going to honor you because of Jonathan and not because of Saul. And uh, there's Mephibosheth. Uh, one of the words for him in the Hebrew is a lame shame. Second Second uh, Samuel chapter 9, read it. It's very interesting. He gets honored. He sits at the king's table and he is brought into the family for the rest of his life. And all of his sons and daughters are also accepted. But remember, there Mephibosheth was at the very beginning, ready to receive the wrath of David. And he even said it, what do you have to do with this dead dog as I? Like he had a very low uh, perspective of himself, a low identity. And David said, nope, there's going to be a new covenant a new relationship and a new beginning, you're going to sit at my table. And my table is going to cover your crippled legs. My promise to you is going to cover and remove your past. You're no longer an enemy or in the house of my enemies. Uh, and my, this new beginning is going to be in a place where you're going to stand in a new place. You're going to be relocated and stand in the economy of grace. So that word stand is to be a position of authority, a position of privilege, a place of a, an immovable foundation. Let's look back here in Romans chapter 5. This foundation, we can't sin our way out of it. We can't um, unbelieve ourselves out of it. We cannot, we cannot remove ourselves from this position. We can certainly lack the experience of it, experiencing it, but God is saying, this is what I have decided. And because of the work of the cross, you are now uh, very 
the value on your life is the same value that I put on my son, Jesus Christ. So this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So again, these words are so loaded because God is saying uh, the foundation is something that, uh, you know, typically when we go into a house, we don't see the foundation right? God says, I have prepared this place for you before you came on the scene. My work is before the foundation of the world. And as a believer, we think that our present action or non-actions can somehow change our foundation. It can't. This was established before us, and it'll continue beyond us. But my present uh, relationship cannot change something absolute. So if Romans 3, 3, if I don't believe or if I, some people think that they, they're going to leave God or somehow they're going to walk away from God and certainly they will not experience the fullness of God, but God says this is something established before the foundation of the world. It's secure. It is permanent. So he uses these words, rejoice in hope. Now, this word rejoice, Philippians 4, 4 also says this, but it means to glorify God with your mouth, to glorify God in your attitude, to glorify God uh, with your, your decisions. So to glorify God. Now, this word glory, is, is, it grows in importance, and I want to show you something here in a minute. But we rejoice in hope, which means we glorify God because of hope. We're expecting something good from the God who is good. So hope, this is a key word in the believer's life to build confidence. If we lose hope, this is why so many struggle with suicidal thoughts, is because they lose hope. They go into despair they enter into a downward spiral where they have lost all expectation of something good. People may say, oh, this always happens to me. This is like this bad thing happens. And that's just, you know, my, my track record. And God says, no, I want you to glorify me and then expect something good for me. Okay. Glorify me and expect something good for me. No matter what bad is around you, expect something good. Okay. So God's glory is God's magnificence, okay? And this is what I want to focus on here for a few minutes. God's glory is God's magnificence. So whenever you follow the glory of God, you're going to find the gospel of God, okay? Wherever you follow the glory of God, like we see in Exodus chapter 3, Moses turned aside and saw the burning bush, and then there was a conversation in the glory of God. And there's holiness that we see set apart uh, unto his glory. So we glory in God. So this glory is, it's a, uh, a weightiness. It's a infinite value, a surpassing value that God puts on his son. That's why that he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God puts an infinite value on his son. This is why God puts an infinite value on you, because you and I are in his son. So he's saying here, value 
who God is. And he's going to go on to say glory and tribulation, which means value the problems and tribulations that you have because you're going to learn a new side of God. So glory, <clears throat> it's a weightiness. Like the words of God are filled with glory. They have a weightiness to them, right? When God says, um, I have loved you with an everlasting love and with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. Those are glorious words. Um, my peace I give you not as the world gives you. Uh, again, the words of glory. <clears throat> uh, uh, I love you in 1 John 4.19 first, and therefore you love me. These are words of glory. Um, we see the majesty of God. We see and have great hope, not in anything else, but in him. So he shifts here. He says, not only that in verse three, but we also glory in tribulations. So I put great value in tribulation because God is going to show himself faithful. We're going to be able to trust him and we're going to see the many sides of the grace of God in 1 Peter 4.10. We're going to see the side of faithfulness. <clears throat> We're going to see the side of integrity. We're going to see the side of trust, trustfulness. We're going to see the side of mercy. We're going to see the side of justice. We're going to see the side of wisdom. Okay, so whenever we're talking about who God is, we are glorifying him. We, so let me show you this, Psalm 115. I quote this verse a lot, but I want to read it. The glory of God. You know, maybe you've seen the glory of God in a little child's face. Maybe you've seen the glory of God as the sun rises. Maybe you've seen the glory of God when you look up into the heavens. Uh, Psalm 19 declares the glory of God. In, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the millennial reign, uh, I, I should say we're going we're gonna to say glory will rule the earth. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no light because the glory of God will light everything. His light will surpass and be the means that we see things. Psalm 115, <clears throat> this is, <clears throat> excuse me, we see something interesting. It says, not unto us, verse 1, but to you, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name we give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, your name we give glory. We give glory to your name. <clears throat> because of mercy, because of truth. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Notice what it says here. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but are things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. So God is saying, I am showing you something through progressive sanctification as you walk with me, as you agree in truth, as you go positive to who I am, as you get to know me. Key verse here, Philippians 3.10. Let's look at Philippians 3.10. I will give you weights of glory. <clears throat> and this directly relates to the word anointing. God says, I will give you the anointing <clears throat> to walk with me in difficulty. I will give you the anointing 
to have joy under pressure. I will give you the anointing of wisdom learned in dark times, right? Uh, there will be treasures in darkness in Isaiah 45, 3. I will cause light to shine out of darkness in Job 12, 22. Uh, I will anoint you in 1 John 2.20 uh, with a special manifestation of my spirit, with a special message, with a special spirit of understanding and compassion. I will anoint you. Okay. Given a lot of great stuff here today. Philippians 3.10. That's why when we go through difficulties, our pain has purpose. It's nothing's wasted. God may be leading you through things in Job 23.10 so that you may know him because he knows you, and progressively we are learning that. And Philippians 3.10 shows us this. It says this. Uh, uh, but but uh, Actually, we could read a little earlier, verse 8. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. There it is. He's glorying or finding his identity in the glory of God. <clears throat> and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, that righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death by any means I may attain to, re to the resurrection from the dead. So what is he saying? He says, I am gonna learn who Christ is and fellowship with what he fellowshiped with. He, Jesus <clears throat> took on wrath so that we would not have wrath. This is why the church does not go through the tribulation. First uh, Thessalonians 1.10, uh, 2 Thessalonians 5.9, we see that wrath was put on Christ, and today it's been, a, it's been uh, met, and, and that question is satisfied. But we are learning his fellow we're fellowshipping with what he went through his difficulty he endured the cross because of love so we're being conformed to his death and this is what romans chapter 5 gives us a list let's look back romans chapter 5 that i may know him not just have like some literary knowledge not just some information but no no we are intricately being connected and fellowshipping with the god of the bible and now what touches him touches me. What grieves him grieves me. What, um, what I measure and make in my own image, God says, no, it has to be in my image. It has to be something that reflects me. I do not share my glory <clears throat> with anybody. That's an interesting Isaiah 42, 8. God says, I don't share my glory with anyone. So don't try to gain any glory on your own. <clears throat> well, Let's look back at Romans 5. We see this list, right? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So these words, these are big words and these are worth your study, all right? perseverance this is where we endure with god right we are hidden in him just like we're in a big snowstorm and what are we doing we're walking with him and the elements are coming in there's pressure on all sides right but we are hidden in him 
and we are kept safe. We are kept in the power of God. And this perseverance produces character. We don't quit. We don't look for the easy way out. We are being built from the inside out. We're in a place where God is teaching some deep lessons, and this character gives way to hope. Again, we see God being faithful. We see God being not only uh, the author, but the finisher of our faith. God will be faithful to you. He's a faithful God. He is faithful and true in 1 John 1, 9. He is just, okay? He is just. So whatever you're worried about today, whatever is bothering you today, the faithful God will be true to his word. So do not uh, do not doubt, but be believing. Well, look at these words here. Verse five. Now, hope does not disappoint or God is saying, I will not shame you if you trust me. I will not shame you or disappoint you if you're expectation and trust is in the right place. So many Christians I, I've talked with, they are disappointed maybe with God. God didn't follow their directions. Maybe God didn't do what they wanted. God somehow is uh, not giving them all their, their want lists. But he is saying here, I will not disappoint you if your expectation is in me, in Psalm 62, 5. If you are trusting in me, looking to me, following me, abiding in me, I will not shame you and you will not be disappointed. Why? Because the love of God, we will see this in our trials. We will see this in our daily life. The love of God is extravagantly poured out to you and I on a daily basis. That's why there's no ledger. God is not keeping track of our sin. And this is why in a relationship, I've talked to one couple I say, how do you do it? How have you been married <clears throat> 42 years? I think they were. And, and, the, and the guy just said, you know what? Every day is a new day. I throw away the ledger. I throw away all the things that went wrong. I don't bring yesterday's past into, into, days, into today's uh, life. Now, of course, we want to deal with things and, and not be in living in denial, but Yesterday does not affect my today in this sense where I do not relate to people in their sin. Certainly need to address things and make sure things are settled, but there is no ledger. God is not a bean counter counting all of our sin and uh, making us pay for that. We certainly have the consequence of sin. If we reject Christ, we'll live in the consequence of sin, but God never de deals or relates to us in our sin. Psalm 103, 10 and 12. So we've covered that in detail. So God says, you can hope in me. I will be faithful. I will be true. I will win the victory. And it's because the love of God has been generously poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so he has commended us in his in love, Acts 20, 23, right? This word commend, let's look at that word. I think it's Acts 20, 23. This is a good verse. Uh, we're commended to his grace, I think it says. Uh, and this word commend is a big word. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, it's Acts 20, 32. Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Who's being sanctified? 
you are, I am. So God says, I'm going to commend you to my grace. This word means to commit, just like you'd put someone in the hospital, you commit them in a, in a way where it's beyond their control. They are being helped and cared for, uh, <clears throat> and they are, uh, it is beyond their consent because of their need. God says, I'm going to take care of you that way, and my grace will be the means that I do that. Number two, it means to bring together something that was apart. God says, I'm going to commend you to my love and grace. I'm going to bring you together. Okay. It's like um, two enemies being brought together to reconcile. Thirdly, it means to intertwine. It literally speaks of someone sewing fabric together and they're intertwined and they're made one fabric. It's very interesting when you look at Christ's um, cloak that he had. It was very valuable because it was all stitched in one thread. And that's why they gambled for it because it had great value. This is what God's doing. God's like, I'm bringing you and I together and intertwining us and grafting the word of God in our hearts so that we become one. And then not only intertwining, uh, but uniting us as one. So to commit us to bring us together, to intertwine us, and then to make us uh, unified. Psalm 8611, unite us to fear your name. Unite our hearts to fear your name. This is what the love of God does in Roman, in Revelations 2.4. It causes us to remember how much we're loved, how much we're valued, how much Christ paid for us so that we could have a relationship with a perfect God. <clears throat> the alternative is we would be cast away. We would be on our way to hell. We would be rejected. We would have no uh, means of standing in grace unless Christ came and gave everything so that we could be free. It's amazing. Uh, I pray that these thoughts are ministering to you today as we close. Think about this. Um, verse 6 through 8 for Romans 5, well, when we were still without strength, notice this, without strength, we were ungodly, an enemy of Christ. Christ died for us. He, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, but someone would even dare to die. So what is he saying? He said, he says, maybe someone would die for another person if they were good. But in this case, you and I were unlovable, unworthy, without any, any value. And God says, you are valuable, you are worthy, and I'm going to die to make you rich. I'm going to become poor. I'm going to die on a tree, Galatians 3.13. I'm going to be cursed so that you would never be cursed. I'm going to, I'm going to see my goodness in you, and I'm going to project my glory so you have value, and, and I'm going to die for you and make you righteous. And this is what it's all about. It's incredible. But God demonstrates his own love in verse 8 towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's like we couldn't even, we couldn't even uh, love him back, so God had to do it for us. See, God is the starting point. God is the initiator, and we are the responder. This is why in our Christian life, we worship him, we think, we praise him, we meditate on him. And in that worshipful meditation, ministry happens. We don't have to work up something. 
We simply worship him. And then he, as we walk in him, he will do the work. It's amazing. All right, closing here. But God, okay, God demonstrated his own love. That's big words. His agape love, his perfect love, 1 John 4, 18. His unfailing love of 1 Corinthians 13 that bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Love thinks no evil in 13, 5 of Corinthians. His own love towards us. We were helpless, hopeless, bankrupt. We were a bum on the street that couldn't even lift their eyes. And Jesus says, I'm going to pour a dump truck full of love on the worst, the unworthy, the sinner, the one who is Let's just put names to it, the, the homosexual, the, the adulterer, the, 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 the one that got a, did a, had abortions, uh, the vile, the crooked, the, the corrupt, the demonic. Jesus is saying, I'm pouring out my love. Now, Romans 10, 21, amazing verse. God's hands are all day long out to the evil and the unthankful, and some will not respond to this love. That's the tragedy. Some will not respond to this love. And this is why God is saying, uh, I am going to keep loving. I'm going to make every effort to pursue that person so that they will be with me forever in heaven. And this is the tragedy. Some will not respond to that love and they'll suffer a Christless eternity. Well, uh, so he sees a demonstration of his own love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, by his life, by his life. That's the gospel. By his life, by his life, by his life, by his life. That's three of these. If, if you have the son, you have life. First John chapter five. In him, I think it's verse 12. In him, his life, his life. I want to read you one last verse that we covered last night in class that show us what we're talking about in the gospel. And not only that, verse 11, but also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the reconciliation. Okay, there it is. 1 John 5. Let's close here. 1 John chapter 5. Um, what are we saying today? We are saying... Uh, we are made righteous. Romans 5.17. Uh, actually, let's, let me read Romans 5.17 before I look at 1 John 5. Going Running around here a little bit. 5.17. For if one man's offense, death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so by one man's righteousness, the act of the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. We're going to cover that next class. But what are we saying here? God is saying, I am, I am, it's my idea, it's my action, it's my initiation, it's my blood, it's my love, it's me, 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 me. And you and I are responding. You and I are like Mephibosheth. We are receiving it. You and I are uh, heirs. All right, look at this last verse, and I want you to meditate on this. Uh, I was reminded of it last night. It's one of my favorite verses. And if you look at 1 John chapter 5, um, 
if you look all the way, um, you know, in First John five, you see these words. Uh, so we know, we know over and over. We know verse thirteen. We know we have eternal life, right? We know there's confidence in His will. In fourteen, but look at this. First John five eighteen. We know that whatever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. And we know that when we say God, you know, that he does not sin, it means habitually sinning, okay? Because that, uh, because that doesn't reflect the nature of God. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, okay? We know that we're of God, okay? And we know in verse 20 that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding and that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and in his son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life little children keep yourselves from idol idols what is he saying here we know who god is so we know who we are we know who god is so we know what the true gospel is we know the redemption of god and we have an understanding who is true christ and we are in him who is true therefore we are the only true thing in our life is the work of grace and this is the true god that gives us all of himself so the, these verses first john chapter 5 18 through 20 specifically verse 20 is a great meditation that helps us understand that god is infinitely uh surpassing our own understanding and thank you lord today that we are made valuable we are made righteous we are made precious because of the work of the cross so god bless you i hope these thoughts encourage you today we're going to move on from uh from romans chapter 5 verse 12 uh, and beyond uh, next class okay all right god bless your evening